The fashion industry is a multi-billion dollar business in America. Apparently, Americans care about their clothing. It is estimated that the average American spends $1,000 annually on clothes. You do the math and you realize this is a big business. I realize that there are some seasons of life where we are more fashion conscious than other seasons of life, but let it be known that for most of us, the motto sounds something like this, out with the old and in with the new. This is not just a fashion motto of the 21st century as in a phenomenon in America, but this is something that's been around for all the ages, for even in the ancient church, it was out with the old and in with the new. This morning we continue our study of the great book of Ephesians. We find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. I invite you to take a Bible and turn there. I'll be reading verses 17 to 32. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. This morning I want to speak to you about being dressed for success. Being dressed for success. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God, you may be seated. Belief and behavior are inextricably tied together. What we say we believe must impact how we behave. And how we behave must be influenced by what we say we believe. Belief and behavior are inextricably tied together. But we are living in some strange times. 
There used to be a day in American culture when what I just said to you was clearly obvious, that belief and behavior inextricably tied together. But we live in a moment of time where people have so compartmentalized their lives that they have segregated the secular from the sacred so that they have compartmentalized what they believe to be sacred and they live in a way that is quite secular so that their secular behavior does not match their sacred belief system and their sacred belief system does not impact on a daily basis their behavior before a watching world. But you and I must remember that always it has been that belief and behavior are inextricably tied together. When we begin to compartmentalize this, the end result is quite catastrophic. For example, the end result could be two professing Christians who live together outside of marriage and they see nothing wrong with it. Or teenagers who are professing Christians, but they will not stay sober on Friday night and won't stay out of the backseat of the car on Saturday night and then come on Sunday morning just to get the praise on. Or children who walk through the waters of baptism professing Christ as Savior and Lord and then they'll lie to their parents with no remorse when asked the question, did you clean up your room like I told you to? How can this be? How can it be that we have come to a place where we have so compartmentalized that which is sacred from that which is secular? How is it that we have begun to untie the inextricable bond of belief and behavior? Let it be known this morning that belief and behavior are inextricably tied together. This has always been the case. Every time Paul seems to write one of his letters... He begins by talking about our belief system and then out of that, how we ought to behave in light of what we say we believe. He does this on a regular basis and he never begins with behavior and then leads to belief. No, he always starts with belief system and then out of that flows our behavior. I'll give you just a few examples. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is all about our belief system. What we say we believe, it's rich in doctrine. Then beginning in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul says, Therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And he spends chapters 12 to 16 talking about our behavior in light of what we say we believe. In the book of Colossians, the first two chapters speak about the supremacy of Christ. And then beginning in chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul then identifies behavior that we ought to uh, demonstrate. For he says in chapter 3, verse 1, set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above, and not on earthly things. All because of the supremacy of Christ. Here in our book, the book of Ephesians, Paul has spent the first three chapters talking about uh, what we believe, and then beginning in chapter 4 and going through chapters 5 and chapter 6, he will talk about our behavior so that he tells the Ephesian church, do not live as pagans do, for that is not how Christ called you to live. He urges the church to be faithful unto the Lord. Why? 
because God has sovereignly selected us from the very foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Why do we live the way we live? Oh, it's because we were dead in our sins, but God has made us alive in Christ Jesus. It's by grace that you've been saved. Why do we live the way we ought to live? Because he has raised us and seated us in the heavenly places. Why do we live the way we ought to live? Because God has drawn us close to his side through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In light of what we say we believe, there are certain ways in which we behave because belief and behavior are inextricably tied together. So in chapter 4, Paul says, I urge you, I plead with you, do not live as the pagans do. The word Gentile can be translated as pagan. A pagan Gentile was one who was a fool. You do know what a fool is, don't you? A fool is a person who lives as if God doesn't exist. That's a fool. And in verses 17, 18, and 19 of our passage, Paul gives to us a portrait of foolishness. He identifies four attributes of a fool. A fool is somebody who has futile thinking, a hard heart, calloused life, and a desire for impurity that is continual. He says, this is a portrait of foolishness. Do not live as pagans do. Do not live as the foolish Gentiles, for they have a futile mind. The word futile means empty. It's not that lost people are stupid. It's just that their brains are broken. It's empty. It's futile. It doesn't acknowledge who God is. It does not acknowledge who they are before the Lord. It does not recognize their purpose and their destiny in life and the afterlife. Paul says that a person who is lost, uh, they, it's not that they're stupid. It's just that their brains are broken. They have futile, empty thinking. Because a futile mind inevitably has to reach futile conclusions. Many times we engage the lost in conversation, and humanly speaking, they're very intelligent. We would regard them as brilliant, in fact. Brilliant, intelligent, smart individuals. Paul is not belittling them in any way. He's just saying that pagans, they just have a mind that's been broken by sin. They don't acknowledge who God is or who they are. That's why Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll know what God's perfect will is, his perfect pleasing will for you. It's the renewing of the mind. When you engage someone who is lost in conversation and they say, well, what I think about it is this, translation, futile. When uh, someone says to you, well, my friends and I and I have been talking about this, and this is the conclusion we come to when it comes to the existence of God or the purpose of living. Translation, futile. When somebody says, well, I've been kind of researching this subject matter on my own. I've read a few books from some very popular secular authors. Translation, futile. Because Paul says that a foolish person will always have a futile mind. It is an empty mind to God. It is not stuffed with the thoughts of God and the things of God. It is empty. It is broken because of sin. Paul says that a pagan person, a foolish individual, is one who does not have thoughts that are directed unto the Lord, for their thinking is futile. He also says their heart is hard. 
The word heart is mentioned in the Bible over 900 times. That must tell us it's a pretty important word. It was believed that the heart was a center of intellect. It was the place where thoughts e- emerged. It's the core of your anatomy. It's the core of who you are. It's the heart of a person. And Paul says that a foolish individual has a hard heart. The word hard, it means rock hard. It was a word that doctors used in antiquity to describe what would happen when calcification would form around a broken bone or a broken joint. Maybe the bone was broken in the arm and it wasn't set properly. And over time, there was a rigidness that established a calcification that took place. And they would say, this was a hard joint. This was a hard arm, broken bone, whatever it may be. And Paul says, that's exactly how a foolish person lives. They have a hard heart. They are not only hard, but they have paralysis when it comes to the movement of the Lord. They're unresponsive to the things of God. God uh, moves or speaks and, and they don't do anything. It's as if that they are a corpse. Just as a corpse cannot hear a conversation two feet away from them, so a hard-hearted individual cannot hear the godly conversation that goes on two feet away from them. Paul says this is foolishness. It's a futile mind. It's a hard heart. Then he says they've lost all sensitivity. That word means calloused. They have a calloused life. All of us have developed calluses before, uh, places uh, on the palm of our hand that are callous. I've been told that a callus is really nothing more than a collection of dead skin. What once felt pain then became calloused, kind of roughed over, now even numb to the touch. And Paul says that's how a foolish person lives. At one time they felt the pain, at one time they felt, but then they just become, they became so hard-hearted and calloused over, losing all sensitivity, they're even numb to the touch. They have dead spots in their life. And Paul says that a foolish person also has just a continual lust for more impurity. It needs to be noted that Ephesus was a leading city in the ancient world it was a city that sizzled with sexual impurity. It was a city that uh, housed the temple of Artemis. Artemis was believed to be the fertility goddess. The temple that was uh, built there was uh, an elaborate temple. It, it was ornate in every way. Visitors would come both near and far. They would tour the temple. Much of the economy of Ephesus was built on the tourism that came in to the temple of Artemis. They would leave and they would purchase little shrines and idols uh, for their own homes and for their own lives. It was truly believed that uh, if you did what Artemis told you to do, then she would make your families and your fields and your family animals, uh, farm animals, uh, very fertile. And so in the temple of Artemis, there were thousands upon thousands of employed prostitutes, both male and female. Heterosexual sin was commonplace in Ephesus and especially in the temple of Artemis. Homosexual sin was celebrated. The exchanging of genders where men acted as women and women acted as men was very commonplace in the temple of Artemis. This transgendered issue is not a contemporary issue. It is an ancient old issue. And in the temple of Artemis, you had all types of sexual impurity that were going on rampant. And that was called normal activity. It is out of this cesspool 
of sexual sinfulness that God raised his church. Isn't it amazing? It is out of this backdrop of such vile disobedience that God called out sons and daughters of Christ. And Paul says the foolish person not only indulges in those types of uh, sexual impurity, but they have a craving and a lust for more. It's an addictive behavior. It's something that is, is not, is, is not uh, easily satisfied. What was once sufficient the other day is no longer sufficient today. And so there's a craving for more and for more. One Greek philosopher said it this way, that the morals in Ephesus are beneath the animals. And the inhabitants that live there are only fit to be drowned. That's what a Greek philosopher said. Not even a God-fearing person, not, not even a Christian, not even a person who, who acknowledged God, just a, just a run-of-your-mill Greek philosopher said, in Ephesus, those people have morals that are animalistic, and the only thing that is fit for those inhabitants is simply to be drowned. Can you imagine if the people in Ephesus had the internet and smartphones can you imagine the creativity and the vile that would go on in that scenario if they had some of the uh, things that you and I have? The, the truth of the matter is this, that Ephesus would be a leading city in America today. You could bring it over if it's possible to transplant a city with its cultural norms. If you could transplant it some 2,000 years, this would be a leading metropolitan city in America today. Birmingham, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Las Vegas, you name it. Ephesus is all of that rolled up into one. And Paul says that that is a portrait of foolishness. A fool, what is a fool? A fool is somebody who lives as if God doesn't exist. A futile mind, a hard heart, a callous life. A continual lust for more impurity. Paul deems it foolishness. You did not come to know Christ that way, Paul writes. Beginning in verse 20 uh, through verse 24, he gives a portrait of faithfulness. You did not come to know Christ that way. He gives four other attributes and qualities of what we would call faithfulness. Paul says that one who is faithful is one who hears Jesus and is taught the truth of Christ it's an individual who puts off the old self and puts on the new self. Can I just stop right there and just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Don't miss this beautiful analogy that where there are four attributes of foolishness, uh, God replaces it with four attributes of faithfulness so that God's grace is sufficient for all of your sin. And God's grace is sufficient for all of my sin. It's not like there's some sin that's just kind of hanging out there, just dangling out there, just unaffected by the grace of the Lord. No, there is no sin that's too gross for God's grace. 
So amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Horatio Spafford is exactly right. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. So praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well, yes, friend, it is well. It is well with my soul, because God's graciousness has covered over every element of grossness of your sin and my sin. So Paul identifies four qualities or attributes of foolishness. And then he follows that immediately with four attributes of faithfulness unto the Lord. The first is a faithful person is one who hears Jesus. You've heard of him he writes, you've heard about him. You hear Jesus in your life. The word hear not only means to listen, but also to obey. It's the implication that if I listen to Jesus, I will hear his voice and I will follow in obedience. Jesus said that he is the shepherd, we are his sheep, and the sheep follow him for they recognize his voice. Paul says, this is how you came to know Christ. You came to know Christ because you heard about Jesus. I told you about him. You heard about Jesus. Someone else told you about him. You heard of him. You have, you're following after him. You've listened not only to his voice, but you follow his lead. A person of faithfulness is one who hears Jesus. Secondly, it's a person who has taught the truth of Christ. Good theology is taught, not caught. This is why we uh, place a high priority on the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. Because we know that you don't just wake up one day and you're a good theologian. You don't just wake up one day and, hey, you know the things of God. No, I mean, God's Spirit moves upon you and awakens unto you the desire for salvation. You follow Him completely in obedience. He gives you His Word. And just like He said to Ezekiel, He says to you and to me, eat this scroll. Feast on it. Digest it. Allow it to sink deeply into your heart. So that's why we prioritize not only preaching and teaching, but the studying of God's Word. So we carve out in our schedule meaningful moments on a regular basis, daily basis, in fact, where we get along with the Lord and say, Lord, teach me your truth. That's why it's so important. Because good theology is taught, not just caught. At the end of the letter, Paul is going to uh, give a great illustration about the armor of God, how we're thoroughly equipped and God's provided all that we need. He's going to talk about the various components of the armor of a Roman soldier. He's going to tie to it a, an attribute of the Lord, the Lord, what the Lord provides for us. So like we have things like the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, shoes of the gospel, sword of the spirit. But there's one little piece of the armor that sometimes gets overlooked and it shouldn't. It's the belt. And Paul says it's the belt of truth. Just as a belt keeps all your clothing in place, so the truth of Christ keeps your life in place. 
It keeps things in check. It establishes the boundaries. It helps us to know what is in bounds, what is out of bounds, what it should be, what it should not be. And the truth of God helps us to have everything put together in the right manner. And Paul says that a faithful individual is one who not only hears Jesus, but one who has taught the truth. He also says that a third attribute of faithfulness is one who puts off the old self. That phrase, put off, um, is a pretty uh, picturesque phrase. It means to discard with force. You ever had to take off your shirt with force? Uh, Maybe a bumblebee got stuck in there, in your shirt. I promise you, you took that shirt off with force. I mean, you discarded that thing because you didn't want to have anything to do with it. This is the imagery that Paul has in mind. You discard your old self because you don't want to be clothed in that at all. He says, put off the old self. In Colossians, he will write a similar phrase, but it's a different phrase, when he says, take captive every thought that comes into your mind. And we're take captive in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it means to arrest. I can well visualize a police officer uh, striving to arrest a potential criminal, one who is resisting arrest. I can well imagine and visualize that police officer would wrestle that perpetrator to the ground, cuff his wrist, place him into the squad car, take him to the precinct where there he would await his appearance before a judge. This is the same imagery that Paul has in mind in 2 Corinthians when he says, take captive every thought that comes into your mind. Sometimes those thoughts are ungodly. Sometimes those thoughts are not very biblical. And you've got to wrestle those thoughts to the ground. You've got to punch them in the face, so to speak. You've got to throw them in the car. You've got to take them to the precinct. You've got to allow them to appear before the righteous judge, the Lord Jesus himself. You and I have got to stop being lazy and lousy with our thoughts. People who say, well, I just can't help the way I think. You know, I'm just being true to myself. You know, I was just made this way, and I just can't help it. You know, I'm just trying to express myself. Friends, that is never a good idea. It is never a good idea just to express yourself. Because when you express yourself, all you got inside is sin, and sin comes out. That's never a good idea when I just want to do with what I'm created to do. No, no, I I am a sinner to the core, and you are too. And so we need to take captive everything that is ungodly in our life. We've got to stop being lousy and loose with our uh, deeds and our thoughts and our desires. Paul gives an even more graphic term in Colossians chapter 3. It's along the same idea. But Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that you and I need to put to death everything in the earthly nature. The earthly nature is the same thing as the old nature. It's really synonymous in the New Testament. What is earthly, what is old, what is sinful in us Paul says we got to put that to death. This is a violent metaphor. 
I mean, some of y'all get upset, and rightfully so, but you get upset at the level of violence that your children see on the games that they play on the television and on, on, on the screens, and you look at your children and your grandchildren, you think, they, they shouldn't be playing such violent games. I get it. I understand it. But that violence pales in comparison to the violence that Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 3 when he says, put to death everything of the earthly nature. That word put to death literally means to slaughter, to slay, to kill, to mortify. Put to death everything that is not of Christ. Put to death. Slay it, slaughter it, slice it, dice it, blow it up, uh, just shoot it up, get rid of it, kill it, nail it to whatever tree you can find. Just get rid of it. Put it to death. How many of us are that violent? with our behavior that's not of God. This morning, we're examining our own behavior. Let me be very clear. We are not examining somebody else's behavior. It is easy to mortify somebody else's behavior. It's easy to want to put that to death, and sometimes you just want to put them to death. I get it. I understand. But today, we're not examining somebody else's behavior. You're not punching the elbow to the person on your right and on your left saying, big boy, I hope you're listening to him this morning because he's really on some stuff right now that you needed to hear. No, we're not doing that. Not today. We're not poking each other. We're poking ourselves and saying, hey, I need to wake up because we're examining our own behavior, not somebody else's behavior. So when it comes to your behavior that's out of bounds, ungodly, untucked, do you mortify it? Do you slay it? Do you slaughter it? Do you kill it? Do you discard with force the old self? Or do you tolerate it? Excuse it? Kind of sweep it under the carpet. It's not that big of a deal. It's not nearly as bad as somebody else. Whoa, we're not looking at somebody else. We're not examining anybody else today. We're examining ourselves today. What do you do With the sin of your life, do you mortify it? Do you slay it? Do you slaughter it? Paul says the portrait of faithfulness is one who puts off the old self. And the fourth characteristic is that he or she puts on the new self. To put on the new self. The the word new is not just new and improved. It's not just uh, a revamped or tweaked or fine-tuned self, it's new in kind and quality, new self. Put on the new self. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul is simply reminding us what is at our disposal in Christ. And he does tell us that we have to put off some things and put on some things. He does give us this portrait of faithfulness that is hearing Jesus being taught the truth of Christ, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. And these are things that that are not just a one and done kind of experience. You don't just say, well, I've heard Jesus once and that's good. Check it off the list. I've been taught one time about what to think about Christ and now I've got the corner marking on truth. And I, at one time, I put off my old self and there was a day when I put on the new self. No, Paul's not describing something that took place once in a galaxy far, far away. He's talking about a continual 
repetitious behavior in the life of the faithful follower of Christ. Because the portrait of faithfulness is one of present tense. It's an ongoing action. We hear, we continue to hear. We are taught, we continue to be taught. We put off, we continue to put off. When when the ugliness of our earthly nature raises its ugly head. And then we put on and replace it with the new self that is ours in Christ Jesus. Because you do know that all of your sin has been put to death. It has been mortified. It has been slain. It has been slaughtered. It's there and Jesus paid it all. And all to him you owe. Sin and left a crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow. So this morning, let me ask you, do you look faithful or foolish? Let's let's have a show of hands. You want to? No. The 8 o'clock didn't want to either. Because if we did a show of hands, and if I were to ask you, how many of you are foolish before the Lord? And you got those four attributes of foolishness. Nobody would raise their hand. And then I would say, how many of you are faithful unto the Lord? All of you would raise your hand. And then I would aid in your lying spirit. And I don't want to do that this morning. Because here's the truth of the matter. Are we faithful or are we foolish? Yes. Some of the times we're faithful unto Christ. Some of the times we're foolish. Why is that? Why is that? Any other follower of Christ get disgusted at that? You can raise your hand on that one. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get disgusted at the fact that I have been bought with a price. The blood of Christ covers over all of my sin. Why do I have to still mess with sin? Why does sin still try to mess with me? Why is it that I long to be faithful, but sometimes I'm foolish? Why is that? John MacArthur said it this way. The reason Christians are like that is because while we are clean, we put on some filthy garments. I don't know why we do that. I mean, literally, physically, you just get out of the shower. Your body's clean. And then what do you do? You put on the sweatshirt you just wore two days ago. Why do you do that? There's a foul odor that comes from that. It's not fresh, right? Why do you put on the same sweater that you wore just a day ago? You go, well, I didn't didn't really get it that dirty. It's not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yeah, because spiritually speaking, that's exactly what we do. We've been cleansed. And then we go put on some dirty garments. And then we wonder why we have the foul stench of death. And the lack of freshness in our life. Can I say it this way? Instead of putting on grace clothes, we leave on the grave clothes. You remember the story of Lazarus, don't you? Jesus called him by name. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He was already already there, uh, you know, wrapped up, mummified, if you you will. Uh, And Jesus called him by name. And Lazarus had to come out because the author of life spoke his name. And so Lazarus began to hop out of the tomb. You know, he's hopping because Jesus says, unbind his hands and feet. But don't miss what Jesus says. Jesus says, take off the grave clothes. Because one who's been brought from death unto life, one who has been called by name, no longer needs to wear grave clothes. Because the clothes of the grave are foul and they smell. They are stanky. You don't want to wear that. 
You want to wear the grace clothes of God's righteousness and his holiness. All of that that's been uh, purchased and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Sometimes, beloved, we, instead of putting on the grace clothes, we leave on the grave clothes. So in verses 25 to 32, Paul gives four more things. Four things that we are to put off and put on. He says, beginning in verse 25, put off lying and put on telling the truth. Put off lying. Why would Paul have to tell the church to stop lying? Apparently, there are a bunch of liars in the church. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, that's why I said, stop lying. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to God. Stop lying to your spouse. Stop lying to your family. Stop lying to your boss. Stop lying to your government. Stop lying uh, to your neighbors. Stop lying to church members. Stop lying to classmates. Stop lying to teammates. Just stop lying because when you lie, you're speaking the language of the devil. So stop lying. You are created. You are redeemed. You are purchased at a price to speak the truth, know the truth, live the truth, be the truth. Later, he's going to say, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. That word unwholesome means rotten fruit. What do you do with rotten fruit? You don't eat it. You throw it out. I mean, it's smushy, and it's nasty, and it doesn't taste right, and it smells bad. You don't leave it in the house. If it's rotten fruit, you get it out. And Paul says, don't let any rotten fruit drip from your lips. So stop cussing. Stop telling dirty jokes. Don't be vulgar. Don't be crude. I mean, stop that junk. Because that junk is just, it's just uh, it's unwholesome. It's foul. It's smelly. It's rotten fruit that's just coming out of your lips. James is going to pick up on the very same thing. He's going to tell the church, with your same lips, you praise God and curse men. My brothers, this should not be. Out of the same mouth come both praises and cursing. Friends, you realize God gave humans lips for two reasons. Number one, the first reason is so that you can use your lips to praise the Lord with words and speech. You can share the gospel. You can build others up, not tear them down. You were given lips so you could form words and speak so that other people can understand. Praise the Lord. He gave humans lips. There's another reason why you have lips. And the second reason is so that you with your lips can kiss your spouse. Amen. Thank you much. I tell you what, I love both those reasons. Those are very good reasons. I love to use my lips to praise the Lord. I love to use my lips to praise uh, and to kiss my wife. Uh, but that's, that's why God gave you lips. God gave you lips. He didn't give fish your lips. I mean, that's just a gross image to think about. But he didn't give fish your lips. He gave you your lips so that you could praise the Lord and so that you could kiss your spouse. Let not any unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. Why? Not because we're trying to be goody two-shoes, but because Jesus has redeemed us and raised us and seated us with him. And because of who Jesus is, this is how we behave because belief and behavior inextricably tied together. So don't speak lies. Put that off. Put on truth. Put off anger, he says, and put on compassion. Don't let the sun go down your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. That's what Paul writes. You realize that when anger gets the best of you, it reveals the worst in you. Every time. When anger gets the best of you, it reveals the worst in you. 
put off anger, brawling, rage. Put, put, put that off. Put on compassion. Be slow to anger. Be abounding in love. Be compassionate. Third, he says, stop stealing and put on sharing. Apparently, not only were a bunch of liars in the church at Ephesus, there were a bunch of thieves too. They were stealing. And Paul says, stop it. Put that off. That's part of the old nature, the old self. You did not come to Christ that way. Stop stealing. So don't steal another man's shovel. Don't steal another man's spouse. Don't steal another man's shirt. Don't steal another man's reputation. Don't steal another man's job. Don't steal anything from another brother in Christ. Or a pagan, pagan for that matter. Stop stealing. Instead, start sharing. Use your hands for usefulness. For anyone who has a need that you're in a position to meet, that's your neighbor. So start sharing with your neighbor. Start meeting needs one with the other. And the fourth characteristic of what he says to take off and put on, he says put off grieving the Spirit and put on obeying the Spirit. To grieve means to quench. The word quench means to delay opening the door. Don't delay opening the door for the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit moves, you open immediately. Do not delay. Well, eventually I'll open the door. No, that's not good enough. When the Spirit moves, you respond immediately in obedience. When he speaks, you listen. When he directs, you follow. To quench the Spirit is to delay opening the door. So the opposite of that is to obey the movement of the Spirit of God. And then Paul ends our little passage with a beautiful little uh, triad of accessories that need to be in all of your uh, fashion wardrobes. Be kind, be compassionate, and forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind, be compassionate, and forgive. Beautiful accessories to every Christian's wardrobe. This is the stuff that you need to put on every single day. And you ask yourself the question, well, how often do I have to forgive my brother when a, when, or my sister when they sin against me? The answer, as often as Christ has forgiven you. That always hits me, boom, right between the eyes. Because I think to myself, but that guy's the lousy moron. He's an idiot. He's a spur in my saddle. I mean, he is a, a, a thorn in my flesh. And God says, uh-huh, that's what you are to me. <laughs> and so I've forgiven you. And so as often as God has forgiven you, you forgive your brother or sister. Wow. Today we're thinking about our behavior, how, how we act. Do you act faithful? Do you act foolish? If your behavior were clothes, would you be in style with the culture or Christ? Do you wear grave clothes or grace clothes? The phenomenon is out with the old and in with the new. It's, it's nothing new to the American culture. It's been around forever. So this morning I wonder, um, what are you wearing? How do you behave? Belief and behavior inextricably tied together. We cannot say we believe one thing and then our behavior contradicts that which we say we believe. If we do that, then we're phony. We're foolish. We're living as if God doesn't exist. And I don't want to stand before a God who does exist if I've lived my life as if he doesn't exist. 
So this morning, I wonder, maybe there's somebody here who just needs to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you know your belief will impact your behavior. Maybe there are some believers here, and you just need to come to the altar and use this as a dressing room. Maybe you need a, a wardrobe makeover. You say, I can't do that. That would be kind of vulnerable. I mean, right there in front of everybody, only God will watch. Only God will see. I wonder, anybody need to come and put off some stuff and put on some stuff? Regardless, I want you to walk out of here dressed for success in the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. Lord Jesus, um, if there's one here who does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that today will be the moment of their salvation. If there's somebody here and they are dressed in things that are not godly, they are, uh, spiritually speaking, behavior that is contrary to the very word and will of God, Lord, today I pray that there is some swapping that goes on. There's some exchanging that happens where they take off the old and put on the new. In Jesus' name, amen.